On this episode, we're talking all about psych meds and type 1 diabetes. When you take them, how they impact your blood sugars, and how to find a psychiatrist who gets type 1 diabetes. You'll get all your questions about psych meds, type 1 diabetes, and more answered in this episode. Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hey there, a quick question for you. Does type 1 diabetes make you feel stuck? Do you feel like type 1 limits you and makes it harder to do the things that you want to do? If so, I have a free guide that can help you get unstuck and become more flexible in your life with type 1 diabetes. To download your free copy, go to www.thediabetespsychologist.com backslash get unstuck. That's thediabetespsychologist.com backslash get unstuck. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at the Diabetes Psychologist for access to even more exclusive content. Hey there, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman. Have you ever thought that taking a medication for depression or anxiety might help you, but then you thought again because you had no idea how that medication might impact your diabetes? Or maybe you thought that you should be able to handle these feelings on your own and that taking a medication is a sign of weakness. Or maybe you just don't want to take another medication. Let me tell you, if you've ever had any of these thoughts or feelings, you're not alone. I hear these concerns in my work all the time. And I'm not here to tell you that you should be on medication or not. That decision is really up to you in consultation with your doctor. But I want to make sure that you have all the information you need to make an informed decision. And I'll be honest, I've seen how much these medications have really helped some people that I work with who have type 1 diabetes. And on this episode of the podcast, I wanted to bring in an expert to talk all about psych meds and type 1 diabetes. My guest today is Dr. Roy Collins. Dr. Roy is a resident physician at Stanford University. He's also been living with type 1 diabetes since he was 13 years old. Dr. Roy and I had a great conversation all about when someone with type 1 diabetes might want to consider medication. Be sure to listen all the way through this episode because at the very end, Dr. Roy gives some great advice about finding a psychiatrist who really gets type 1 diabetes. This is some advice you're not going to want to miss. Here's my conversation with Dr. Roy. Well, Dr. Roy, I'm so thrilled that you joined me today for this podcast. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. You bet. So start off, tell me a little bit about your life with diabetes, when you were diagnosed and how things have been going for you over the years since then. Yeah, so I was diagnosed originally in 2004. I was in eighth grade at the time. So I'd had, you know, a good amount of life sort of before diabetes, before diabetes was really much of an issue. Um, no one in my family had type one diabetes. I had a grandfather who'd had type two. And so I'd seen him sort of check his blood sugar, you know, usually at the breakfast table before he ate. And, you know, you ate a lot of kind of sugar-free stuff. That, that was like my entirety of, of knowledge about diabetes at that point. 
and I was diagnosed. My mother's a pediatrician, so she noticed me going to the bathroom a lot and drinking water a lot for about a week straight and, you know, said, okay, we should probably, you know, get you checked up and then see what's going on here. And so then, you know, there, there goes the diagnosis. I was, uh, I still am, but at that time, you know, sports were really important in my life. I was an athlete. So the thing I wanted to know is, can I still play football? The doctor said, yeah, I think so. And I was like, cool. I, uh, I, the rest of the questions, you know, what my diet's going to look like, what insulin is, all that is going to be secondary. And I just want to make sure that I, I can still play football. And so, you know, I, honestly, my, my life as an athlete and diabetes have always been, you know, together just because for the you know first, as I'm getting into being more of a serious athlete, I'm also finding out what it means to be a diabetic. And so all through high school, I, all I care about is just not being low. And so my, my A1C through the roof, my blood sugar sky high, just because like, I'm was kind of managing everything completely on my own. Mm-hmm. And I know that high means long-term consequences, low means short-term consequences. And as an adolescent with no prefrontal cortex, I, all I care about the short-term consequences. So luckily I was still somehow able to play well enough to, to go to college and be recruited as an athlete. And when I was in college and I had a more kind of robust training staff and people who you know, cared about my performance and were actually going to pull me if my blood sugars weren't uh, in the right range. You know, that, that's when I really kind of tightened down and got together um, and was able to to do sports and manage my diabetes the way that was going to be a lot more healthy. And, and luckily, I've been able to kind of take those skills into my now adulthood and kind of second life as a physician. Yeah. What position did you play in football? I played um, defensive end. I played linebacker. I played tight end and then offensive line at the very end. So kind of all over, but usually some a lot, all a lot, all a lot of scrimmage. And I'm curious, while you're playing football, were you using diabetes technology, insulin pump CGM? Yeah, so I, I got on the pump pretty quickly. The CGM weren't quite what they were now, and I was also like definitely afraid about like losing, you know, this very expensive uh, object in the field somewhere. You know, if if I were a Dexcom G6 now, I think if that technology had existed, where it's as accurate and sort of easy to fit you know, and, and easy to sort of wrap on, I, I would have done so, but mm-hmm. uh, it just didn't really line up with the time of when I was playing. Did you use your pump while you were on the field? I did. I did. My uh, my mom somehow got in touch with Jay Cutler's trainer. I don't know yeah. how she did it. She's kind of a wizard. And so they were asking like what they did. I think Jay was wearing a, a, a pump or he was taking shots, but getting a lot of attention. So I, either way, we decided that wearing a pump on the field was going to be something we were going to try to do. And so I, I ended up just sort of hiding it in, in certain parts of my body that I was going to protect anyway. I'll leave it at that. And uh, <laughs> it, 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 it ended up uh, working out pretty well. How often were you checking your blood sugar while you are on the field? Yeah. So there was a, like a, a student um, kind of assistant trainer that was just sort of glued to me during, during practice and during games. And she would check usually like after every couple of series or so. So that would end up being kind of, you know, a couple times a quarter. Uh, so I would probably phrase that. You're now a psychiatrist That's and right. I want to hear a little bit about your path to becoming a psychiatrist. You know, yeah. what, what was it that got you interested in psychiatry and, you know, what's the path you've taken educationally um, up until now to get there? Yeah. So I definitely didn't go into medicine thinking about psychiatry, like, which is a story with a lot of psychiatrists, just because when you, when you think of medicine, mental health isn't necessarily, you know, in the forefront, you know, you're thinking more you know, internal medicine or even surgery. So I definitely tried all those different specialties out. I kind of had an inkling just because of who I am. You know, I've been an ar- armchair psychologist for for some time. You know, I've been the guy that everybody comes to for advice and, you know, someone who has like a good temperament in the face of chaos. You know, that, that's, that's kind of who I am. And so I I had, and, and when you go to medical school, there actually like tends to be kind of a dearth of availabilities to kind of get that exposure, you know, before 
it, it is one of the required rotations that all med students have. But like before then, as is not the case with a lot of other specialties where you do have opportunities to kind of shadow and kind of get into it before mental, mental health and psychiatry tends to not be that way. But my school did allow uh, or did offer like a mental health first aid certificate certificate course, you know, for people who would be interested in kind of knowing more about that world. And so, you know, kind of given what my baseline personality is and, and just, you know, you know, seeing how mental health was kind of being coming more to the forefront of like media attention, you know, I said, Oh, let me, let me take this course. Uh, it was a couple of weekends and I really enjoyed it. So by the time it came, it became time to have my scheduled rotation as a third year med student, the required rotation. Um, I, I really enjoy how it's it's a very social medical science. So you have to have all the same medical knowledge as all the other specialties, but you also have to kind of know a little bit something about you know how people interact and, and what life is like, you know, in all these different spaces. And so that really that really saying true to kind of who I am and what my experiences have been. You know, I've I've, I've had a lot of it, you know I've had I feel like multiple lives kind of all in the same lifetime, and you know I know how to you know motivate different types of people and interact with different types of people. And so I thought that. You know, uh, that with, again, just this like real burgeoning um, attention and effort into mental health spaces, I thought this was going to be, you know, an exciting challenge and and a field that was, you know, still fairly new in terms of a lot of like treatment modalities and again, a lot of like attention and research, you know, put into it. And so I thought, you know, this was going to be an exciting new uh, role for me. And that's that's been true. So, you know, it, every every time I you know, go into work every time I uh, fulfill my role as a psychiatrist, you know, it becomes easier and easier and more interesting to me. So I, I definitely picked right. Do you think your diagnosis with diabetes impacted your wanting to go into medicine and going into psychiatry? Definitely my, my wanting to go into medicine. So again, I was in the eighth grade when I was first diagnosed. So, uh, you know, as I'm finishing middle school and going into high school, you know, I have this all of a sudden this urgent uh, need to study biology and understand how the human body works because I'm trying mm-hmm. to figure out, you know, what the heck is going on inside my own body. Um, and so I, I know because my diabetes diagnosis, I wanted to be involved in something health related. I wasn't quite sold on medical school. I even got a master's in public health before I went to medical school just to kind of, you know, be at least health adjacent and sort of see what life was like. And then, you know, ultimately decide to, to you know, go all the way and become a doctor. And um, that was, that was something that was actually really hard uh, was to not go into endocrine, you know, through the either internal medicine or pediatrics route. But ultimately, I decided that I wanted to work in mental health and incorporate diabetes into my mental health work as opposed to spending a lot of time learning about like everything that you need to know before you were able to kind of specialize specifically in diabetes. I thought that it was easier to go the other route um, rather than the former. So you know, happy my decision and, you know, happy that there's kind of like a, a new interest, this this bridge between mental health and diabetes care that, you know, I, I hope to be a, a part of in the future. Yeah. And I'm so thrilled that you're doing that because we need more psychiatrists who understand diabetes. And I really want to spend some time today talking about the intersection between psychiatry and diabetes, because I know a yeah. lot of my listeners have questions about medication for, for yeah. mental health conditions and how that impacts diabetes. And so let me start off by asking you, when do you think it's appropriate for someone with type 1 diabetes to consider medication? What will be some kind of indicators that you would recommend that people say, yeah, if, if, I, if I'm experiencing this, this, and this, then maybe mm-hmm. medication is something to consider? Yeah, so I, I think what probably, so A, any chronic condition like diabetes is going to leave you at an increased risk for a mental health disorder as well, concurrently. It, it's something that you sort of have to deal with and you have to deal with the, 
the literal highs and lows and the kind of figurative highs and lows of diabetes. And that in addition to your other life stressors, you know, can potentially precipitate into something that is not just like a, a spot incident of anxiety or a spot kind of low mood, but something that kind of persists past them. So what, what I think your listeners should think about is, you know, it, for all day or most of the day for a couple of weeks is, is all it takes, you know, am I having issues sleeping? Are there things that I used to enjoy, the things that brought me joy that maybe I don't find the same interest or, or pleasure in, you know? Am, am I feeling like a burden to somebody? Um, am I feeling guilty or maybe even worthless? Um, how's my energy? Is my energy low, right? You know, am I, am I kind of moving slower than, than, than I think I'm used to? Am I having trouble concentrating? Is my appetite changed? Is my weight going up or down? And then, you know, the, the most serious level, am I even thinking about suicide and, and you know, taking, taking a way out from relieving all this pain? And so I think, you know, if that, if that certainly on the suicidal level, you know, but any, any of those other things, if, if multiple things, you know, are, are affect, afflicting you, you know, again, all day or most of the day for a few days in a row or even a couple of weeks in a row, that's when I think you should, A, talk to someone. Right. And, and be consider potentially starting medication to, to avoid, to be able to, to better handle some of the stressors in life. And one way that I explain it to patients who are seeing me and who, why I recommend medication too, is, you know, medication is not going to make your problems go away. The medication right. is not going to make your diabetes stress go away. It's not going to make your depression go away. But what it will do is it will kind of give you a step up. So if you, I imagine people are kind of in a big forest and they can't really see where they're going moving forward, how to move forward in an effective direction. It gives you a little stepping stool. And so you can kind of see a little bit above the trees and gives you the opportunity to take some steps moving forward, especially in therapy that will be right. more helpful for you. How do you think about medication in combination with therapy? And how do you approach that in your work with people with diabetes? That's a good question is, is, you know, where does therapy play a role? Where does medication play a role? Where does hospitalization play a role? I, I actually think of it kind of like a football field. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the, the hundred yards of a football field, right, where, where, where is that ball placed on the field? So is that ball in your own end zone or like on the one to kind of five yard line? Like, are, are you, when you think about your opponent's end zone, the, the goal, right? perfect mental health, perfect mental stability, right? Like how far away from you are you from your goal? Mm -hmm. If you're a hundred yards, 90 yards, 95 yards, things, things are pretty low, right? Uh, you need acute stabilization. Maybe you are feeling suicidal. Maybe you're feeling just so anxious and so overwhelmed that you just can't take it anymore, right? That's, that's where I feel like inpatient hospitalization, which is typically going to come with some level of medication is going to come in, right? Um, are you 40 yards away, 60 yards away, um, 50 yards away? Um, it, it still seems like even with, uh, the help of, of, of talking to a therapist or, um, you know, people that are close to you, that you, you still need some help. Again, you, you need help to better deal, to better cope. Um, that, that's where I think you should also consider medication. You know, are, are you, that, that's also the land though, where I think psychotherapy is going to be really important as well. You know, I, I think that, I mean, studies literally show that some, some ways in which medication helps is to actually give you a, a tighter therapeutic alliance to your right so that um as you're able to better sort of discuss what's going on and and really sort of you know put in the the work to, to deal with your issues you, you have a better capability to do so right therapy is going to be something that's going to you know be either sort of targeted to a specific uh, situation or an event or it's going to be maybe more long term to help you really process all the things and stressors that are going on you know from a diabetes standpoint and again just from a life standpoint i think there's there's 
once you get sort of closer uh, to your goal, right? Once you've engaged with a therapist, once you've maybe started a medication and, and allowed the, you know, weeks it takes for that to reach a steady state and, and to be um, at a level that's going to be helpful. Um, now we're sort of in the personal responsibility land, right? We're, we're in the red zone where the margins are, are slim, but the, uh, the stakes are high, right? You know, that's what we're talking about. Like, well, what's your diet looking like? How are you exercising? You know, how are you meditating? Um, what, what are some of the coping mechanisms hopefully that you've gotten from therapy um, that you're actually able to incorporate into your life. So it's, it's really, you know, it, it, I think of it less as like, oh, this situation requires this one modality, treatment modality, to more how are they all working together hand in hand in order to, to have you reach that goal, which is again, you know, stability and, and happiness. Yeah. What is your response to someone with diabetes who says, I feel like I should be able to do this on my own. I feel like if I take medication, that means that I'm somehow weak or I should be able to do this without medication. Well, uh, I think it's the old idiom that if you sort of do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, right? That's the difference of insanity. You know, it's, insanity is, is not a medical term; it's a legal one. Um, so I feel like I can I can use that, you know, with uh, with some level of caution. <laughs> but but that that rings true to saying, you know, is what you're doing working, right? And you got to be as objective and honest about it as possible. If you feel like you were feeling just so overwhelmed and so anxious or you're, you're not really not sleeping at all. It's affecting your work. It's affecting your relationships with your, with your loved ones, with your family. And you still say that, you know, I don't need to be on a medication or what I'm working, what I'm doing is fine. You know, your, your own life experience will tell you otherwise. And so it, it's not so much, well, you know, let's just try this other thing, but let's, let's actually kind of accumulate your experiences with, with this one modality of, of treating it, which is maybe nothing, which is maybe just sort of, you know, trying to motivate yourself and think about, well, well, let's get these other modalities that are proven, like scientifically proven to help people be more productive, to have them have better relationships, to better manage the stresses of life and, and see if that doesn't really lead to a better result. Do you think there's an analogy there with diabetes of, let me try to manage my type one diabetes without taking insulin. I'm going to see what I can do for a couple of days and see if I can right. make it work. Right. I've heard people say that before, and we both know that, that doesn't work. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. There's a little bit of a cognitive dissonance, I think, with, uh, medication that you can sort of see your blood sugars go up and down and, and, you know, medication, treatment modalities, such as psychotherapy that can help your mood uh, be more constant, you know, in a straight line, like we see with our uh, blood sugars, hopefully. When I suggest medication to someone and they push back, I say, would you ever decide not to take insulin or brain chemistry and blood sugars are a little bit different in the end they're the same. We take insulin right. because without it, our body's not going to function right. With medication, we take medication for depression or anxiety because without it, our brains aren't going to function right. And we want to set ourselves up for the best success possible. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I think what people need to understand is, you know, medications. So there, there are many theories as to why these medications work, right? But there are different chemicals in your brain that medications will help sort of stabilize and at least increase uh, the, the kind of values of that are going to be helpful to help you manage your mood and help you manage your stress, mm -hmm. right? And, and psychotherapy what you have kind of before any of these modalities is you have kind of your, your brain connections either being uh, misconnected, right? And or, and or like the way in which they communicate with each other is, is not in a way that's going to be helpful. And so medications help that sort of communication between one another. What psychotherapy does is sort of rearrange those connections in a way that's going to better serve you. And so it, it's really the adapt, adapting of, of both sides and both styles that's going to be helpful in the end uh, for people who, who need it. You know, a lot of my listeners are really curious as people with diabetes, 
are there things that they should be aware of if they're thinking about medication? Do, do, do these medications have an impact on blood sugars, on other things that are important to people with diabetes that they should be cognizant of as they're thinking about moving forward with medication? Yeah, everyone is different. And so, you know, there's, there's not uh, necessarily one reaction on the blood sugar that's going to be the same for everyone, but there are, there are a few sort of trends that we're able to, uh, to notice. So, you know, the, the easy example are antipsychotic medications. And, and I say antipsychotic medications because that's when, whenever a drug is introduced, it has to be sort of classified in one way. Um, and so for uh, psychotic spectrum disorders, such as schizophrenia, which is typically associated with kind of disorganization, hearing voices, um, being more paranoid, being more like reclusive, there are medications, you know, made to combat that. And so certainly if, if that, if you fall under that spectrum of disorders, um, antipsychotics are going to be, gonna be the uh, treatment that, that's best used for you. But a lot of the newer antipsychotics also have uh, modalities in treating mood and insomnia and, and anxiety. And so, so what you might have is someone who doesn't necessarily have schizophrenia, who might have a bipolar disorder, or might have generalized anxiety or insomnia or tumor resistant depression, for example, is the use of an antipsychotic medication. There are a lot of metabolic side effects of those medications. So um, a lot of times weight gain are associated with it, higher blood sugars associated with it. And so if an antipsychotic medication were to be on the table at some point, you know, what you want to do is have a, a fairly robust way to kind of combat uh, the possibility of those side effects. You know, that it's not a side effect that, it, that occurs in, in every patient that takes those medications, but it's significant enough, you know, to where that needs to be part of the conversation, you know, so whether it's having a, a tighter diet and a tighter exercise routine or maybe even, you know, combining, so for like a type two diabetic, you know, like adding metformin or increasing the dose of metformin to help sort of better regulate blood sugars, maybe having to adjust your, your basal rates for, for type ones in such a way that you're going to kind of combat the higher blood sugars. Um, that's something that I think should be part of the conversation and should, you know, your endocrinologist should be included um, as you're initiating those meds. Now for antidepressants, you know, which are also anti-anxiety medications, it's not that same sort of uh, correlation. There, there, is a, there is sort of a weight gain certainly, uh, with some meds. Now, some of the newer antidepressants don't have that, those same effects, but a lot of your kind of your, your Prozacs and your Zolops um, that, are, that are fairly commonly prescribed um, do. Just like anything else with diabetes, you want to sort of see how it affects you and then make, make adjustments. So similar to the antipsychotics, you know, you, you may need higher basils. You, you may need to sort of tighten your, your diet and your exercise routine. But what you also might see too, is, is certainly as you like initiate one of those antidepressant medications for the first time, is like sometime around you're you're taking the med, your blood sugars rise a little bit due to what we call neurogenergic effects or like kind of like adrenaline. You know, it, it's it's sort of like a like a big moment in which you kind of get a, like a like a stress response blood sugar rise. And so a lot of those antidepressant medications have that side effect profile. And so you want to sort of see, okay, well, I need to find like a pretty specific time of the day that I take this med. You know, I, I need to read my continuous monitor. I need to kind of serially uh, check finger sticks to sort of see. If I'm being affected, if, if there is this concurrent rise in my blood sugar that happens, you know, two hours after I take my Zoloft, okay, well then, you know, what, what type of measures can I make to sort of, you know, mitigate that rise, you know, and that's something again, that you need the data for to talk to your endo about and come up with a plan. But, you know, all those things should not scare you away from taking those necessary medications because they're all manageable. Do you have any advice for people who are looking for a psychiatrist? What's the best way to look for a psychiatrist who understands diabetes? Or is that an important thing for people with diabetes to have a psychiatrist who, who gets type 1 diabetes? Now, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, all psychiatrists, all MDs, like, have had some training. You know, certain ones are going to be more comfortable than others, right? Like, I'm 
probably one of the more comfortable providers in diabetes, you know, whether it's on psychiatry or medicine or whatever, just because I've had this lived experience. Sure. Um, and so I, so I think that's, that's kind of where the, the patient responsibility comes in a bit and is, is to sort of explain, okay, well, because uh, your, your psychiatrist is going to know to ask you about, you know, how it's affecting your appetite and your sleep and your mood and all that kind of stuff. And so you need, you need to, you know, I, I would say it's sort of on the patient to sort of say, you know, in addition to these things you're asking, like, let's talk about my diabetes too. And that psychiatrist then will either sort of know offhand what to do, or maybe they'll need to research, or maybe they, they may need to, you know, ask for backup and help themselves. But you need to kind of bring that up in the conversation so that everybody is aware and, and your, you know, medical doctor can, can make the necessary adjustments too. That's great advice. Last question is one that I ask everyone who comes on this podcast, and that's what is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten about how to deal with the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes? I would say uh, ask for help. You know, close mouths don't get fed, uh, as the old idiom says. Um, so, you know, one, one of the biggest changes in my life was, like, I got the best control, again, when, when I allowed others kind of into my diabetes life. Um, when I was trying to do everything myself and trying to manage it, you know, on an island, I didn't have the full opportunities and the full information uh, that, that I would have had if I had kind of allowed others in earlier. So, you know, I, I would say that you don't want to get like overrun by them or get, you know, too involved where diabetes is your own identity, but join, join groups, right? Like there's plenty on Facebook, there's plenty, you know, across social media, um, see what other people are doing, see what other people are talking about, right? Mental health is at this place where uh, a lot of people with chronic illnesses such as diabetes are kind of talking about like what they're doing to sort of manage um, you know, allow yourself to, to benefit from that collective wisdom of, of groups and, and people who are going through exactly what you're going through. Um, and, and, you know, with uh, the information that they provide and the ones that your own physicians provide, um, put together a plan that works for you. But uh, you don't have to go through this by yourself. You're, you're not an island. There's a community of folks who are, who are wanting to talk to you and wanting to help you out. So definitely reach out. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Roy, thank you so much for your time today. This was an awesome conversation. And I think that my listeners will take a lot away from it. I hope so. I hope so. And, and thank you so much for inviting me, Mark. I really appreciate talking to you. You bet. Before you go, can I ask you a quick favor? If this podcast has been helpful for you, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a five-star rating and post a review on iTunes. That helps me get the word out about this podcast. So as many people as possible with type 1 diabetes can benefit from it. I always love hearing from my listeners. To get in touch, you can find me on Instagram at the Diabetes Psychologist or send me an email to mark at thediabetespsychologist.com. You can also find me on the web at thediabetespsychologist.com. That does it for this episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. Be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode. Bye until then. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com and be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. Podcast.